Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. Are you a woman who's ready to excel in her career and her life? Are you ready to be a professional saleswoman by using your inherent qualities? Are you a woman who wants to be better prepared for a leadership position? Then you're in the right place. Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman. It's about women in business, work-life balance, leadership, and current events related to gender communications. Be prepared to be inspired, motivated, and challenged. Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman is your connection to women nationally, internationally, and globally. So get comfy and see what the buzz is all about. Find out more at www.sellinginaskirt.com. Now, your host, Judy Hoberman, on C-Suite Radio. You have your life planned out for you. Maybe it's not exactly as you originally planned, but you're in a place where things seem to be on track. You graduated from college, you get a job, you believe you will make a difference, and you're excited. And then you and most of your friends are told that the state of New York is going to let go of all the new teachers because there are just too many. What do you do? Your plan is going up in smoke and you realize whatever you do next will push you so far out of your comfort zone and you don't know if you're ready. Well, that's what happened to me. And whatever I would do next would take me into a world of the unknown. And I knew it, but it would be extremely uncomfortable. But back in the 70s, we didn't have life coaches or business coaches. You worked things out yourself or you shared your problems with your best friends. And my best friends were in the same boat. So I decided that it was up to me to find a new adventure that would be my new career. When we looked for a job during that decade, we looked through a newspaper and we made a phone call and the person on the other end either offered you an interview or they didn't. Either way, you were stepping out of your comfort zone looking for ways to improve yourself. In my case, it took only a few calls and I had an interview set up for a bank on Wall Street. The only challenge I was going to face was the position I was interviewing for. It was the head of accounting. Now, needless to say, the only course I never took was accounting, but I thought if I could get the interview, I would worry about the rest. So as I traveled on the subway to Wall Street, it hit me. I had no idea what I was walking into, and I suddenly realized how crazy this was, and yet again, Being outside my comfort zone, I took a deep breath. And then I asked myself, what's the worst that can happen? For me, it would be that I would be offered the position. 
So I went to the interview and I was escorted in and I met with three executives. They wanted to know how I would handle certain situations and they never really asked about my accounting experience. I gave them my thoughts, my opinions, and shared my ideas about getting comfortable with their accounting system. Now remember, this was the 70s and there were no computers, no calculators, or anything other than pencils or ledger sheets, pads of paper, and not much more. I simply reminded them that accounting was simply balancing the left and the right columns and said a few more things while inside I was screaming that question, what if they hire me? And they did. They thought I was bright and innovative and excited, and they couldn't wait to see how I would turn that department around, and I could see there would be continuous improvement on myself and hopefully for others. Now, I stayed there for a few years and realized how many times I was moved out of my comfort zone and how many times I succeeded, how much I learned and how much I shouldn't get too comfortable, because my comfort zone was always a temporary place and I would step out or be pushed out of it quite often. It also meant that I was on a journey to continue to grow and improve. Now, each one of us has our own comfort zone, you know, that place that's part of the routine that we call our daily life. This special place gives us safety and security that we all treasure, especially when it's no longer available to us. While creating a comfort zone seems like a healthy way to live, stepping out of it actually gives us the time to grow and learn and transform, even if we feel a bit stressed and anxious at the same time. Living in that warm and cozy place is really helping you to miss out on new experiences and gives you nothing to be challenged with and eliminates any risks. Sounds a little boring, doesn't it? But it is comfortable and it is a familiar place. And why risk venturing out into the big bad world? So here's three opportunities that will give you that gentle nudge for when you have to go outside of your comfort zone and meet that big, great, amazing world that's waiting for you. The first one is opportunities for growth. Now, we all believe that we're great at just about everything. But the truth is, we're really not. At some point, you'll be faced with something that you're not ready to tackle. For me, that would certainly be technology. Now, I might have said accounting, but we already knew how that story played out. So now it's time to decide if you're going to stay inside those comfortable walls that surround you or you're going to rise to the challenge, even if you don't know how to handle it. So go outside that comfort zone and build up the skills you need to learn. And as your skills grow, so does that comfort zone. Take advantage of the opportunities that scare you. When trembling, proceed anyway. The second is opportunities for advancement. You've seen that stepping out of that comfort zone brings you growth. And with that, there's new doors that will open and a way to advance towards your goals. Whatever advancement looks like for you and your goals, getting out of that comfort zone can help you plow through whatever's holding you back and watch the speed it will happen. And the third is opportunities for fun. Getting out of your comfort zone can give you a life that has so much fun attached to it. The life you lead doesn't have to be boring. If you're daring and move outside the boundaries you've created, you'll be amazed at what's waiting for you. If you don't peek, you'll never know. So put on your explorer gear and get moving. Living inside your comfort zone can eliminate some of the experiences that are waiting for you. That place is a nice place to visit and maybe even a nice place to take a power nap. But don't spend your entire life there. It's time to take some risks and stretch yourself. You won't know what you're missing until you get out of your own way. Remember, the comfort zone you're wearing, step outside of it today because life begins right there. We're going to take a break to thank our sponsor, Walking on the Glass Floor. But when we come back, you're going to hear from my guest who will share her thoughts about growing and improving and doing that continuously. This is Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio, and we'll be right back. What happens after shattering the glass ceiling? You're now walking on the glass floor. Walking on the Glass Floor, Seven Essential Qualities for Women Who Lead is a timely and indispensable business guide for all women. 
whether you're moving out of a dorm room or moving into an executive suite. Introducing readers to the seven keys to success in business and life, Judy Hoberman brings her fresh voice, sales savvy, and thoughtful approach to each of the essential and most powerful leadership qualities. Written in her trademark no-nonsense, glass-half-full prose, Judy's blueprint for business teaches all women how to cultivate and strengthen key skills that will serve them in both business and life. Uncover amazing qualities they already possess that will help them lead and succeed and harness universal leadership qualities to continue reaching their full potential. By providing authentic real-life case studies and inspiring quotes throughout, Judy fills each page with the timely advice women need right now. Walking on the glass floor is like having Judy Hoberman sitting right next to you as your business mentor, personal life coach, and best friend all at the same time. You can order your own copy of the book at walkingontheglassfloor.com. Welcome back to Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio. Okay, are you ready for my very special guest, Ashley Michike? She's the CEO of True North Retirement Advisors, an independent financial advisory firm managing over $250 million in client assets. They're located just outside of Portland, Oregon. Ashley specializes in designing, building, and implementing custom design exit plans to help her business owner clients secure their final and most important business decision, the exit from their business. She's on a mission to transition 300 small business owners successfully into retirement in the next 10 years. That is exciting. So welcome to the show, Ashley. I'm super excited to have you here. Thank you, Judy. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So I want to talk about the discussion of the day. When you step outside of your comfort zone to continue to grow, what does that actually mean to you? Yeah, it's really interesting in hearing you tell that story you were talking about earlier with getting outside of your comfort zone. One of my firm beliefs is that stretching and growing and improving yourself, there's always, if you're not growing, you're dying. And if you're not improving, you're getting worse. So I've always, even from a very young age, I've always tried to put myself out of my comfort zone because I realized that when I do that, I sort of expand my view of the world and I expand my confidence in what I'm able to do. And it's helped me tremendously to take risks and to do things, not just for the sake of taking a risk, but take a calculated risk with the confidence that if I just do this long enough and with enough consistency, I know it's going to be successful. I just have to stick with it. Okay, so do you think that it's important to have this continuous improvement and growth and learning in your life as well as your business, or is it one or the other? I don't think you can separate them because I tried to apply. There's this uh, Japanese word, it's called Kaizen, and it stands for continuous improvement. And it's sort of my life philosophy. It boiled down to one word. Actually, I first heard of Kaizen when I was in college and I was a business finance major. And for some weird reason, I had no idea why. One of the requirements was that you had to take this lean manufacturing class. And I'm like, I'm not doing any of the Like, why is this relevant for my finance degree? The one thing that stuck with me the most was in that class, we learned about Kaizen. And back after the World War II, there was an American businessman who went over to Japan to help them rebuild their infrastructure. And they were just decimated after World War II. And he brought this concept of Kaizen. But what ended up happening is with large Japanese companies like Toyota, 
they went from these tiny little companies to these massive behemoths. So Toyota at one point, I think in 2011, they had the largest market share of any car manufacturer. And back in the 50s and 60s, they were like 2% of the total market share. And the reason for their success primarily is attributed to this concept of Kaizen, where people were empowered to say, hey, I think we could do this better. Or they would stop the manufacturing line at any point if something was wrong, rather than waiting for it to get to the end. And as a result, their quality improved tremendously, especially compared to like Ford and some of the American car makers who, who didn't really adopt those principles. And so I was like, this is really an interesting concept. And I sort of applied it to my own life. Like, what are, what's like the 1% difference that I can do if I just do this one small thing in this area or just start doing this? Because my tendency always is to just, oh, well, I'm going to make this big dramatic improvement. I'm going to stop eating carbs altogether. <laughs> it's like, right. well, two days in, I'm, dying and I want to kill somebody and it's not sustainable. But the Kaizen concept would say, well, if you're trying to cut out coffee, for example, instead of cutting out coffee altogether, with Kaizen, you would just take one less step. It's just the smallest, most ridiculous step that you could take in the right direction. And then you build upon it. And so I tried to apply that to things in business and personal life. Like I, I tried to be more regular about flossing and struggled with that for a really long time. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to apply Kaizen to this. And it was just floss one tooth, like literally one tooth <laughs> or just even taking the floss out of the little dispenser and then putting it on the bathroom counter, like not even flossing. That would be your first step. And so you can apply it to anything and I actually use it quite a bit in business too, working with my business owner clients, because when you're thinking about trying to exit your business, it's a very overwhelming mm. task. I think a lot of business owners, they don't know what to do. They don't know the right things to do. They don't know how to start. So they just don't start. And then what ends up happening is they get to the end and they're like, I should have exited two years ago. I'm completely burned out. It causes them to make rash decisions and in some cases just walk away because they don't have the energy anymore to try to transition their business to an employee or somebody else on the inside or even sell their business. So business owners who don't make these little improvements and just get started end up in a position where their options are really, really limited later on down the road or they put their financial security at risk because they didn't take those right steps that they need to take. So it applies to everything yeah. that I do. Yeah. And it sounds like it's, you know, it's much easier than trying to eliminate or create or anything all at once. But going back to what you were talking about, about exiting. So I've heard many times that when you start a business, at that time, you should also think about exiting the business and have a plan to do that. And a lot of people say, well, that's crazy because I'm just starting a business. But do you think that it's a good idea or how far in advance should someone plan their exit when they're starting or when they're thinking about possibly exiting? Yeah, that's a really good question, Judy. Stephen Covey once said, I think it was him who originally said this phrase, but he said, begin with the end in mind. Right. Ideally, you would, when you start your business, you would think about, okay, what is the trajectory of this business? And 
when do I want to exit and what does that look like? And I think it's important that throughout the life cycle of the business that owners are always thinking about, like if I was going to exit today or in a year, what would that exit look like? What would my ideal path, would I sell my business? Would I want to transition to an insider? And if you at least think about it from that standpoint, even if you're a ways out, you can begin to kind of groom that next generation and begin to take steps in that direction without committing to it. But ideally, if you're not going to do that, like that's the rare person who's going to think that far in advance. You have to be very conscientious, just naturally dispositioned in that direction. But for most business owners, the really the place to start is, is about 5 to 10 years out from when you want to exit completely. Because if you do that, you give yourself a long enough runway There are things that need to be done in a good exit, depending on what that exit looks like. And some of those things that you do could take five to 10 years to fully implement successfully. They would not be options available to you if you say, I want out in six months. Mm -hmm. So how did you know that you wanted to be part of this part of the financial business? Like, you know, a lot of people come into financial and they say, oh, I want to be able to give people a retirement or I want to help them know, have enough money if God forbid something happens or whatever. You picked a very specific niche as far as helping people exit their business. And your goal of helping 300 businesses transition into retirement is also, again, back in this niche. So what made you decide, okay, this is really where I should be? Like, how did you know that was your calling and your purpose? It it happened sort of naturally and gradually over time. I actually started my first business when I was eight years old. (laughs) It was called um, Ashley's Pet Plant and Paper Service. And for $3 a day, if you went on vacation, I would water your plants and feed your cat and pick up your mail (laughs) and your your paper and all that stuff. Yeah. and, And I had this very delusional view of running a business because at that time, I lived in this pretty large, isolated neighborhood. There was I want to say maybe 200 homes in this neighborhood. And I was the only person doing this. And word spread that like, if you hired me, I wouldn't kill your plants. Your cat would be alive. Your doors would be locked when you got home. Like I was responsible enough to actually do what I... So I had more business than I could handle. And and I remember thinking I did it for about three years. So from about eight until age 11. And I remember thinking like, this running a business is so easy. Like, word of mouth. And I just have more business than I know what to do with. In fact, I had so much that I recruited my mom to come help me do this so I could do them faster and I could do more because especially in the summertime, it was very busy. And I was busy with sports and other things too. So I had this delusional view of running a business, but I always felt that I had this entrepreneurship blood you know, coursing through my veins and I really liked it. And I always wanted to get back to that. So in 2017, we officially formed our LLC to launch True North, which is the firm that my dad and I own together today. But prior to that, my dad and I worked for about 10 years at big financial firms. And very early on in my career, about a year and a half in, I stumbled on my first 401k plan. And through that, I ended up growing that side of the business and really focusing on working with business owners through their 401k plans. And I just found that I love, love, love working with business owners. They have a lot on their plate and they needed a lot of help when it comes to managing the 401k plan. Like it's such a 
sort of afterthought, but it's something that's also very essential if they want to attract and retain good employees to have that benefit. I just sort of naturally started working with business owners. And I just, I don't know, I really enjoyed it. And I still do. I love, I love hearing the stories of how they started their business. I find it very fascinating because each one is unique. Business owners tend to be very driven. And a lot of them kind of stumble upon it on accident. Like they were a practitioner, like they were an architect who just so happened to form a architecture firm. And they didn't necessarily set out to become a business owner, but they fell into it. And that, that's the same for me. Like I have a background as a financial advisor and 401k consultant. And because I wanted to do business a very specific way that I couldn't do under any other umbrella, I was sort of forced to do it as a business owner myself. And for me, I'm okay with that. But it's not that I necessarily started out saying, I want to be a business owner. But I knew even from doing that little side hustle when I was a kid, I was like, I think I can do this. You know, I think let's just try it out and see how it goes. I can always go back to working for a big firm. But now that we've been in business for over two years now, I'm like, no way. I would never, ever go back to working for a big firm or it would be very hard for me to ever work for anybody else again. (laughs) Yeah, it's really hard when you're already, you know, when you do this and you realize, okay, this is exactly what I want. Because I went from, I was in the financial industry as well. And I was an independent contractor and I had three agencies of my own and somebody, big company asked me to come in and take over training and develop it and the universities and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, well, I've never done that before. Maybe I'll work for you know a big company. And I did. And it lasted two years. And I went back on my own again, because I was like you, I was like, I don't want to work for anybody else. It's very difficult to go back, yeah. you know, where it came from. Let's talk about entrepreneurs for a moment. I mean, entrepreneurs have their own special way of thinking. Most entrepreneurs probably don't really think about an exit plan. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But if an entrepreneur came to you and said, okay, I have this business. I am, you know, I've been a business owner for 12 years, 15 years or whatever. I'm thinking that maybe I should start thinking about exiting. What's the first step you would tell a a business owner to do if they decide that they really do want to go on this path of exiting? Yeah. And actually my answer to this is very different than I think what other people who do exit planning would say. And the very first thing that I do with my clients is we value their business. Mm-hmm. And most consultants might start with a big, long sit-down meeting and let's figure out the timeline and the goals and the objectives and what's important to you. And, and that actually comes next. But I like to value the business first because it really establishes how realistic their initial plans and goals are for the timeline for exit. So a lot of business owners, I think, tend to overvalue what their business is worth. And so if you think your business is worth five or ten million dollars and it's worth a million or two million, then that kind of changes what that timeline and the goals and all that looks like. So I always like to kind of have as much information as I can get from the very beginning. And the only way we can do that is figuring out what the business is worth. So that's where I start with business owners. And pretty quickly, when I bring that up, there's a bit of an eye roll, like, why would I want to go through that process? Like, it's going to be time consuming. It's going to cost a lot of money. 
And that's what everybody is telling business owners. It's expensive. It's time consuming. They're, you know, you're going to have to hire somebody and pay them $10,000 who's going to chastise you because your books aren't clean enough. And you write this big check. And then four to six weeks later, you have this valuation that's already out of date because it's using past data. So most business owners just use rule of thumb estimates and figuring out what their business is worth. And they're usually wildly inaccurate. With technology, though, it's come a long way and it's amazing. In about five to 10 minutes with just a few pieces of basic data, I can get a really good, strong estimate for what the business is worth. And I actually don't charge my clients to do this. It's it's something that we do initially before they even decide to hire me because I want to get a handle. I need to know what the business is worth and I need to know if it makes sense for them to work with me in exiting their business. And it's something of tremendous value that I can provide to business owners who really want to know what their business is worth. They're just under the impression that it's not a worthwhile process because of the time and the expense involved. Mm, Interesting. Let's say you, you valued a company, a business, and it was, you know, whatever it is, a million dollars, $10 million, whatever. And they say, but we don't want to do anything for the next three years. Do you give them a plan and say, well, you need to beef this up or you need to take care of this or, or so on. So they actually know what the process is. Because I know there are people, I, I have friends that wanted to sell their business and it was such a long, arduous process that they said, you know, we're just going to keep it, which they didn't want yeah. it anyway, you know? So is it something that when you lay it out for your clients, they can get it, they understand it, they see it and they realize that you are on their side as opposed to you just want to sell it? Unlike business brokers who, not, and not to, you know, they have their place and they're valuable in the process you know, we'll bring them in if we need to. But a business broker, for example, or transaction like an investment banker, they get paid when the business sells. So they are motivated by that transaction. I, on the other hand, get paid directly from the business owner who hires me as a consultant to help Mm -hmm. them. So Mm -hmm. I don't have a skin in the game in a particular outcome. And so that's important. So typically... If a business owner engages me, they're motivated by something like, and sometimes it's the realization that they only have maybe five years left in terms of their energy and, you know, their quality of work and output. Like they just see themselves getting a little tired. They want to slow down and they don't want to devalue their business by sticking around longer than they should. So there are always things that business owners can do, even if they're not yet ready to exit. And there are also things that business owners should be doing to grow the value of their business. One that comes up frequently is not having that that management team or key employees. So let's say you have two key employees where if one of them left, like it would be devastating for your business. Most business owners who have employees have at least, you know, one or two people that fit this profile. Well, what are you doing to retain them? Like, Mm -hmm. do they have any sort of handcuffs? And there are things that business owners can do and should do years before they exit. That includes certain types of plans. Like you could have what's called, we're getting a little technical here, but you could put in place a non-qualified deferred compensation plan that would provide tremendous benefit to your employees 
and help them stick around because you're you're putting benefit in this little bucket for them, but it vests over a long period of time. So the longer your employees stay with you, the more that's vested and it encourages this long-term retention. And you only have to do these plans. You don't have to do them for everybody. You just do them for your your key people. That's something that isn't on most business owners' radar, but certainly anywhere in the life cycle of your business, if you lose your key people, it's going to have a major, major impact disruption on your business. And we don't want that to happen. The other thing is just simply having an employment agreement. Like a lot of business owners, I'm always shocked when they don't have employment agreements for their key people that has language written in there about what happens to them, like they can't take key customers, they can't steal employees, they can't steal the intellectual property. So a lot of business owners don't even have like basic protections in place if their key people were to leave and hang up their own shingle down the street in a competitive environment. That happens all the time. And a big reason for it is because business owners don't take those basic steps to protect this valuable asset that is their business. And that should be done anytime, regardless of how close they are to their exit. So the exit plan addresses those things because we have to have those protections in place well before the exit. So even if business owners are kind of far out from wanting to exit, there are still many things that they could do today that would help set them up for success later. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really good to hear and to understand. So everybody that's listening, you should hear this. So how can our listeners <laughs> get connected with you? You know, I mean, sometimes it's just like that one little thing that nobody that they didn't have. They're like, okay, I got to do that now. So how can our listeners get yeah. connected with you so they know where you are, who you are, what you do, how they can work with you and so on? So if you go to truenorthra.com forward slash value my business, You'll get access to the valuation tool, which is where you can go to value your business in about five, 10 minutes. I'll also send you a checklist of the eight pieces of information you would need to gather in order to do that. So like I said earlier, it's very high level data points, revenue, your profit or pre-tax income, what you pay yourself. I mean, a lot of these things are all available on your balance sheet and in your books, and you don't have to dig too deep to get them. So With those basic pieces of information, you can value your business. And I provide free access to that to anybody who wants to be able to do that because I think it's so important in Mm -hmm. getting unstuck and moving forward. And then also all my contact information is there as well. So it's truenorthra.com forward slash value my business. Awesome. Well, Ashley, I want to thank you so much for sharing the mic with me. You have such great information and I'm very excited that we are connected and look forward to creating some new adventures together. Thank you, Judy. It was so much fun having this conversation with you. Thank you. And I want to leave everyone with this quote, change is inevitable, growth is optional. I thank you all for listening to our discussion where we share some extraordinary guests, some ideas for your business and ways to stand out as the amazing women that you are. Now make sure you stay connected with us and remember, women want to be treated equally, not identically. Until next time, this is Selling in a Skirt with Judy Hoberman on C-Suite Radio. Like what you just heard? Visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.